Oh, it was great. All right, what are we? We're doing forty-five tonight. Yeah, Trump. This. this is the Trump episode. Dream big, boy, gonna make it. Stand tall, is how you're already taken. Let go of everything that you know and be wild in the mystery. Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 45 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Rick. And I am Patrick. And we're happy to be back with you this week to talk beer and theology. What's yeah. going on in your world, man? Not much, dude. We're... uh not much at all, actually. It's been, <laughs> so last week was like really busy, especially toward the end of the week. This week has uh-huh. been the slowest week we've had in a very long time. Yeah, at work anyway. My home life has been just a little crazy because our AC's been out. So we've ooh mm-hmm. yeah. So we that's uh, no good, man. That's no bueno. So I think Saturday we actually spent the night at my in laws, <laughs> and one bad night of sleep there convinced us just to deal with it at the house. So um, we did get it. Isn't that funny how that goes. Yeah, um, but we did get it fixed today. It was it's actually been kind of cool here this week, so that that's been nice. Um, we got it fixed today, and just in time to go out of town for the weekend. So sweet, we won't enjoy the, the new. <laughs> <laughs> what they did for their air conditioning this week. But. Be sure to turn your air conditioner off before you go out of town. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, no, but it's been good, man. We're just rocking and rolling and getting into the swing of summer and uh, just trying to stay as busy as we can without without dri- uh, without driving ourselves too crazy. So, how about oh you? My God. How about you? Oh, man, we have been busy. Of course, we're... we're Still a little bit hungover from, I would say hungover, the the vacation hangover. Mm-hmm. You know, where you get back and you're like, I don't want to do anything for like a whole week. Yeah, but also, how much did you drink on your vacation? Mm, enough. <laughs> See, so it could actually still be a legitimate hangover a little bit. Probably not a legit, well, okay, yes, maybe it is. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, so we're... Week two, back into the swing of things, back at work, and, and work's been really busy for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, summertime always ends up being a little bit busier than, than the rest of the time because people are off because their kids are off. Yep. And so that inevitably, you know, changes the way that, that a lot of businesses run. So, so yeah, we've been uh, we've been busy hanging out, and uh, we got out our redneck swimming pool, a.k.a. the blow-up pool for the kids. Mm-hmm. For the summertime, so we've, we've got a redneck swimming pool going on and ready for summer, I think. I hope. <laughs> well, so tonight... Yeah, I, was, I was about to say, maybe tonight... I'm sorry, I was trying to look at something for uh, oh. <laughs> what was going on. Um, maybe tonight we'll find a new summer summary 
uh, drink it's for possible. us. Which is, which is actually, so that'll be a good segue. So the reason we picked this beer out for tonight is because it had very summery tones to it. It is the Terrapin Brewing Watermelon Gose. Now, I'm going to preface this off the top. This is the first official, I'm going to go ahead and call it, this is the first official chick beer that we've done. Yeah. So, this might end up being a chick beer, but for all you ladies who enjoy whatever gose is, I assume it rhymes with rosé, which is what all the girls are supposed to be drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this one's for you ladies. Just want you yeah. to know that, that the Beers and Bible podcast is thinking about you, and we want you to get feel some love with the beer reviews as well. But it's also the 45th episode, so is this the, if this is the first time we've done this, it's not very good on our part. True story. Also, 45, shout out to Trump. So, last week we gave Obama a shout out for being 44. This week we're throwing uh, throwing some glasses. I guess you could tip the glasses to our man Donald Trump, who's up there uh, running the government. Trump, I hope you listen to this. You, yes. You know he doesn't. <laughs> so, um... The can for the watermelon goes eight, and it's actually the Terrapin Beer Company, not brewing. So, oh well, I, uh, I never get anything right. I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm just making sure that we're clear on that. Um, the can kind of looks like a looks a little bit like a watermelon, um, but it's got some like, drawing. I mean, it's almost like cave drawing esque patterns on it. Yeah. Tribal patterns. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, what that's it is, their, tribal. Maybe that's their attempt to make it like a manly beer, you know, because guys are always have the like the tribal arm tattoo or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's their attempt to be like, no, no, this isn't chick beer. This is this is manly beer. It's watermelon flavored manly beer. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That so um, so the so Terrapin Beer Company is a, is based in Athens, Georgia. Um, the one more for one more for the state of Georgia, I guess. We need to go through and see and break <laughs> it down by state. Um. But the ABV on this thing is 4.3%. It's only got seven IBUs, which is just going to contribute to the whole, we think it's going to be a chick beer thing. Yes. Um, yes. We're not saying that in a bad thing. We're in in a bad way hey, at all. We're just saying. Ladies, that. you love your beer. Uh, I mean, that's you love your kind of beer, and guys love their kind of beer, and everybody has to have their own kind of beer. So, no hatred here. Not at all. So, um, I'm curious how it's going to compare to the the... Uh, Hell or High Watermelon that I had a few weeks back. Oh, yeah. Um, I still haven't been able to find actually, that Actually, that's, that's been several weeks. It's, but I did give that one a five. Five Luthers. So, kind of curious as to if Terrapin's going to be able to compete with it. So, um, well, I guess we can go ahead and... Let's go ahead and pre-rate this thing. Um, right. I'm trying Based to... on the description from the website, they actually call it a soured tart but refreshing beer. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there and say that I'm going to come in at three Luthers on this thing. Okay, so I am going to pre-rate this thing. at. I'm going to pre-rate Watermelon Gose at four. I think, I think I'm going to like it because I do like the tart and I like the watermelon that I had before. So Yeah. Um, so because a couple of weeks ago, we had the Strawberry 23. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that one... That was a... Three from you and four from me. So, yeah. um, I think I'm probably going to enjoy this one a little more than you are. I will say this, and this may this may shift my what you think I'm going to end up rating it in the end run. One of my favorite summer snacks in the history of growing up for me 
is salted watermelon. Salted watermelon. I love. I could eat my weight in salted watermelon. And this thing actually like key ingredients of this are watermelon, sea salt, and coriander. Mm-hmm. So I actually. I, I kind of I, like I lowballed it, hoping that I'm going to go higher than I actually did. But if it's too tart, I'm probably going to go three. But if it if it's got that little like, if it tastes like you know salted watermelon to me, this may end up getting five. That's entirely possible. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I think we're done talking about it. Let's uh, crack it open and see what happens. Let's crack them open and go to town here. Here we go. Three, two, one. Initial smell, I don't really get anything. Well, but doesn't watermelon smell like nothing? That's true. So that actually is a good thing. Let's see what it looks like. So it's it's actually like a, a little bit more pink than a regular beer, which again may be a good thing. So as I'm pouring it, um, I'm getting more Ooh. I'm getting more wafts of watermelon. Oh yeah. So smell the can after you've poured it out. I mean that's like mm-hmm. that's like a the bowl of watermelon that your grandma used to put out and you just like it was the the bowl of watermelon and the salt shaker mm-hmm. and you just sit on the back porch and eat it yeah all the all the day long mm-hmm. let's see here yeah it's definitely got some watermelon smell to it so I don't know if I'm just not smelling right or something I just smell aluminum <laughs> well I just smell my my cup in the can it definitely gets the yeah that definitely smells like aluminum. But the cup, I can uh, I can smell the watermelon in it. So so this, well, I'm ready to. We're gonna see how tart this thing is. But let's uh, let's bottoms up this thing and and see how good it actually is. We're pre rating. Rick is a three. Patrick is a four. Here goes the watermelon. Goes a down the hatch. Well, that's good. It's not bad. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I think it's really good, dude. That's not what I expected. So, um, so look. Right, you go first. Okay, so I'm still thinking. Okay, so looking back, so the Hell or High Watermelon was a week where we had to split because we, which was, it was actually the last time that we had split. Yeah. Um, and that's been several episodes now. Um, this is almost an identical flavor to that one. Is it? Okay. Now I know how the Hell or High Watermelon t- tasted. <laughs> I feel like the watermelon's flavor in this is a little more, like, pungent at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everything about it is almost identical. You're going to give this thing five Luthers. So I'm going to give the watermelon goes a five Luthers. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and, and honestly, dude, pretty much from when, the, like, when I first tasted it, I was like, this is getting five Luthers. The same thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, okay, so this one is very much like a, to me, it's a watermelon version of the Strawberry 23. Like, it's got the tart, and, yeah. and it's definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, to, to to their credit, this is exactly what I was expecting. Okay. Like, I mean, they, they labeled it perfectly in the in their description. It's a tart, it's fresh, um, it's not real heavy, um, so... So it's got that good kind of citrusy, but it, almost like a sparkling grape mm-hmm. juice. Yeah, but it's feel to it. so it is a tart, and there's a bit of tart at the beginning. But remember, 
I guess it was a strawberry letter 23 that was so tart for so long. Yes. This and one is was, tart for like a split second and then like the sweetness of the watermelon. That's, sets yeah, that's what I was going to say. So the watermelon actually kind of offsets some of the tartness in this one to me a little bit more than the strawberry 23 did. It almost because strawberries are tart. Yes, they are. This almost tastes like a watermelon Jolly Rancher. That, yeah, and and if you've ever taken uh, watermelon and dropped it in Sprite mm-hmm. and then just like let it sit there and then stir it up, like that's almost what it tastes like to me. It's like a watermelon Sprite. Okay. And so quit, I do enjoy. So quit beating around the bush. Sprite. What are you? What are you going to rate? Beating around the bush. What are you I am stuff? going to. I'm going to come in on the the watermelon goes a because it was a little bit better than I expected. I'm actually going to come in at four losers wow. on this thing. I'm going to go four because this was a little bit better than I expected. Mm-hmm. I'm Because I'm still just, I'm not a fan of the sours and the tarts. I can't go five. It's not a five for me. But I will say this. This is probably going to be the highest that I'll ever rate a tart or sour beer that we ever review on. That's That's big words. But that's probably where I'm going to fall on this thing. Because it is good and it's surprisingly good like i wasn't expecting it to be this good i was kind of expecting another strawberry 23 like a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. but but uh whatever goze is i don't know what makes a beer a goze um if it's the salt like to and, and maybe that's what it is like i get that salted watermelon flavor yeah okay a little bit yeah with it. it really uh, i was trying to like as I, I was trying to think like why is this so good to me it's because it's like that initial flavor of when you've just put salt on a watermelon, which, which if you've never tried it, I know Rick has tried it because we were talking about oh, it just now. Yes. Um, but if you've never tried salt on a watermelon or really any melon, honeydew, yes. cantaloupe, can- cantaloupe <laughs> is phenomenal with salt on it. Um, I would highly recommend doing any and all of them, particularly making sure you do watermelon. Yes. Yep. So this is this is good. This is a lot better than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a five Luther for me. I know it's a five Luther for Patrick, but uh, four is pretty is still pretty substantial for for me because I'm not a, a real tart fan. Right. So so coming in at four, I feel like that's a strong beer. Yeah. And this um, is the first Terrapin beer that we've done. So yes. this is a really good showing, honestly, for brewing. For a, comp- yeah. for a beer company we haven't done yet. It actually makes me want to go try to find some more of their, their other beers because I feel like their actual like lagers and maybe even their IPAs would probably be be better than, than uh, a typical beer. So, right. Terrapin Brewing, throwing it down with the watermelon gose. Mm-hmm. Got a five out of Patrick. Got a four out of Rick. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. To, I did. I pulled a Patrick tonight. I actually went and got two. <laughs> yeah, and it's entirely possible that I might drink both of these because it's it's going down pretty easy. And and at four point three ABV, you, could drink, you can actually have two of these. You can drink a few of these and probably not feel it. Yeah. So so uh, you know if if this were a Dragon's Milk at like nine percent or whatever that one was, maybe not two of those, but. Two of these, two of these, and and they even say on their website that that this is a great like outdoor kind of in the sun beer. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it is. I agree with you completely, Terrapin. Uh, if I were laying out, this would be great. So I don't know if you've got a can handy there, 
but he's actually got a way to pronounce I do pronounce it on air, and it's not Goze, it's Goza. Goza? Oh, well, see, that shows how much I know. I just saw Goza. that, so, I mean, we've both been saying it wrong, but, so the watermelon Goza. Goza. Not Goza. A traditional German-style beer brewed with sea salt and coriander. Maybe that's why I like it, because I do like German-style beer. Yeah. I think I love their really I love good. their dad pun, too. Tart and refreshing. Our Goza is sure to blow any picnic out of the water. Melon. <laughs> you get points for the dad pun there, Terrapin. Yep. But really good. Really, really well done there. There you go. So that's uh that's the watermelon Goza from Terrapin. And now we're going to dive into Packer. We're going to continue on. We're going to talk about mortality and everybody's favorite subject, the second coming of Christ. Right after this. And we're back. We hope that you've enjoyed your watermelon goza. You you, you you paused the podcast, drove to the store, and got the watermelon goza. That's what we're hoping you did. Um, both Rick and I actually opened a second one and poured them up. So um, <laughs> we were we were just discussing the fact that the last couple of weeks we have both drank two beers during recording and. Which historically is not the case for us. It is not, but also historically, and maybe this has contributed to it, the last few episodes as I've been editing them down have been longer. So maybe the maybe the extra beer makes us go long-winded. I don't know. I don't know. We I, I and It's going to be a rabbit trail about rabbit trails, but I feel like we have been kind of rabbit trailing quite a bit the we last have. couple of weeks, which, you know, we, we're going to go ahead and apologize for, but we're also not really sorry. So, um... <laughs> So sorry, not sorry. No, sorry, not sorry. So tonight we're in um, the we're in uh, part four of Jedi Packers Inside Theology. Yeah, we this are. This is the second week in part four. Yeah, and we are talking mortality, and we're going to talk the second coming. So let's get into it. Um, Behold, he comes riding, riding on, on a cloud. cloud. <laughs> it's going to be really funny when that doesn't sync up in post. So. Um, It'll be awesome. So let's talk about mortality. So, so Packers, and this is something as I'm getting older, I think it's probably something that everyone deals with is like coming to grips with their own mortality. Um, and especially in the last, the last year or so, as my son's growing a little bit, I'm, I'm trying to be more conscious of my mortality, you know, taking care of myself a little bit better, going to the doctor, doing all those things getting things checked out that I think need to be checked out. So, um, that's also called old age for the record. Well, I'm not that old, but as, as I'm getting older, I'm trying, I want to make sure that I'm around long enough to see my son do things. Yes. Not that that's in my control. Anyway, I want to do everything. change your perspective on a lot of stuff. I want to, I want to do everything in my power to be here for my son as long as I can. Mm -hmm. So, all that being said, 
mortality. Uh, J.I. Packer defines it as Christians need not fear death. So, Christian, don't fear death. And we're going to move on to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Next? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, it, I mean, the, the death is something that all of humanity experiences no matter where you are on this planet. Yes. And 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 I think it's safe to say that there's a difference between like a healthy fear of death and an unhealthy fear of death. Yeah, like an irrational fear like yeah, living in a bubble fear, yeah. Yes. I mean, it, when when we say fear death, we, you know, we don't mean like you should isolate yourself and never do anything and never go out and like it, that's that's not the point of fearing death, but what you're saying is as you live your life to the glory of God, mm-hmm. you're not afraid of what might happen to you, you know, in in that situation, whatever right. it is. It's, I mean, it's the same. It's almost the same definition of fear as we use in the phrase like "we fear God," as in yes. we revere Him so much that we fear failing Him. We fear falling out of gr- good grace with Him. Um, we fear doing anything that's going to get in the way of the gospel. So, um, mm-hmm. in that same regard, when we say fear death, it's like it's a healthy reverence of death. Yes, it's it's understanding that you will die, mm-hmm. but but knowing that that you will die in accordance with God's will. Right. You know, and and so, you know, if you want to go skydiving go skydiving if you you know but don't don't stay in your house because you think you're going to die if you go outside right you know and 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 there are certain precautions that you can take to protect yourself but there's no need to go over and above natural precautions or logical precautions i guess you could say right you know whatever whatever you know, and, and that, the thing is, I guess in that in that sense, everybody's going to define it differently. You know, some people are going to, and, and in that, you're going to have liberty. So some people are going to, let's just take the big elephant in the room. Let's talk coronavirus here for a second. <laughs> okay, there sure. Are people who, there are people who think, you know, everything should still be shut down. Everybody should be wearing masks. Nobody should be doing anything. All of, like, there are people who believe that. And then there are people who are like, you know, uh let's go into the world guns blazing and, and not worry about masks. And let's just, you know, go kiss every stranger we see on the street and coronavirus is fake. And I've been kissing you know, that, every stranger on the street. <laughs> that's, that's your two extremes that we have. Yeah. And, and I, what, what we're trying to say is that in the middle of that, there is a healthy balance that says, I'm going to take necessary precautions to protect myself. Some people may say you want to wear a mask. Some people may say, I'm just don't, I'm not comfortable going out to a restaurant right now. Mm-hmm. Um, other people would be comfortable that in that area right there in the center, everything is kind of gray and everybody's making a little bit different decisions. So let's not jump all over each other for the decisions we've made because we're trying to make the decisions the best we can for our family. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like pretty much any other topic where it's not black or white. Like there are people that are like proponents of each extreme Yes. If everyone would come to the middle, I think, it's in particular with coronavirus, if people would come to the middle, yeah. <laughs> it would be a lot easier to get out and yes. 
and, and deal with what's going on instead of hearing the extremes of both sides, whether it's you think it's going to kill everybody or yeah. if it's a made-up thing that the media has yeah. forced and, through. And, and the whatever. funny thing is, like, I'm, I'm willing to admit that there are certain areas. Uh, so so we're, we're reviewing a beer from the state of Georgia tonight. So let's talk about Atlanta. You know, in Atlanta, coronavirus is probably a different man. It's something different than it is in, like, South Georgia, you know, where the population is not as dense. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people are people are a little bit more naturally spread out. And the numbers are statistically lower there than they are in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. or, or for that matter, go to the north part of the state. You know, when you get to places that are less populated, but... But where the, the, I guess the false dichotomy comes in is when you say, like, you look at Atlanta and you say, okay, we're going to apply the same rules that Atlanta should have to all of these small cities in South Georgia. And that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take, really, you have to get it, boil it down to a local level. What works in Atlanta works in Atlanta. That may not work in South Georgia, and it may not work in North Georgia, and yeah. so they don't necessarily have to abide by the rules of what what's happening in Atlanta. Right? You know, I know when all this started, Trump kind of put it on the governors. I honestly wish a lot of the governors would have said, "Hey, I'm going to be talking to individual mayors. Mayors, what do you think we need to do? How can the state help you?" Pushing it one more one more thing down the line mm -hmm. because. You get to, like, an individual city. I mean, the city that I live in is not overly populated. We're fairly populated, and we're a growing community, but we're not overpopulated. And we've been kind of low when it comes to coronavirus cases. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be treated the same as, as a city similar to Atlanta or, you right. know, um, pick, your, pick your big metropolis-style city. Right. You know, we don't need to follow the same rules because we're a different type of we're a different culture we're a different mm -hmm. area even though we're in the same state we're still different yeah and then if you look at like states like california that are very densely populated in several parts of the state they have several very large cities it makes more yeah. sense for them to say you know what as a state this is what this is our plan and we're just going to shut everything down and, and yeah. lock it down for who knows how long like yeah. i talked to a guy on the phone in california uh the other day and he said you know, they're still pretty much on lockdown. He's been able to get out and, and go, you know, to the beach and stuff. But, um, you know, and what works in California is not going to work in Montana. Yeah. Where there's, you know, <clears throat> there's more buffalo than there are people. Yeah. I mean, the city of Los <laughs> Angeles has more people than the entire state of Montana does. Yeah. So, I mean, it it's a whole, and we're talking about coronavirus. We'll get back to mortality in a second. I promise. Yeah, we will. Um, but, you know, and it really comes down to, and it really should have always been, the individual's responsibility to do what they felt they were most comfortable with. Yes. Yes. I feel like the government stepped in and kind of forced people to do things based on um, projections of what the virus was going to do mm -hmm. without really knowing anything about the virus. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, some people say we acted too fast. Some people say we acted too slow. You know, I, that's that's debatable. I think on every point, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't. And, and the thing about debates is they don't, they never really kind of focus on reality, like what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And so, so you know, that's why that's why they always end up in this like you know headspace of, you know, 
everything is theoretical. Everything is possible. Everything is, you know, and you can make up any possible reality that you want to make up. But what you're not doing is looking at the actual reality. Yeah. Here's the possible reality. Now, how do, how do we superimpose that onto actual reality and say, now, how do we make the best decision possible? Right. And so, anyway, to bring all of that back to mortality, the, the whole point is that, that Christians, we're, we're not afraid of something like coronavirus. Now, that doesn't mean we go, again, we don't go licking strangers and we don't do things that, that would be abnormal, but we recognize that our life is given to us by God, and at the moment that God decides that our life is done, he will take our life from us. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. in whatever whatever means he wants to, you know, and, and even Jesus said that on the cross. He's like, nobody takes my life from mm-hmm. me. I give it up willingly. Yeah. And Jesus can do that because he was God. Yeah. So, you know, we can't give our life up willingly, but but God can choose to take it from us because he is the author and perfecter of life. So, right. Um, Packer points to, and I, and I love this verse in Philippians 1, where it's the end of Philippians 1, and Paul is is really giving this exhortation to the Philippian church and then and then at the end of this chapter he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain if i go on living in this body this will mean fruitful labor for me so he's saying if i'm living i'm going to keep on doing the things that i'm mm-hmm. doing with, with you know i'm going to try to be fruitful for the kingdom of god and then if i die that's considered gain to me too right so what what should i choose he says yet what shall i choose i don't know I am torn between these two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So mm-hmm. Paul is saying, you know, at this moment, he's saying, man, I really, if I died right now, I'd be happy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I would be in the presence of God. Uh, but it, but God has put me here and I still have life and I still have breath. So it's obviously more necessary for me to be with you. So I'm going to do the very best that I can. Yeah. And I think that's the approach that Christians need to have on. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should definitely be looking at every single moment we're given as an opportunity to glorify Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul is saying that he desires, you know, he, he is a, uh, converted, killer of Christians. Mm-hmm. He is he is converted from a from a path of destruction and a path of wrath. I mean, really. And now he is I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. So, he desires to be with Jesus because he knows what Jesus has done for him in his life. And he says he even says it, it's better by far. But he recognizes that he still has work to be done. And I think that whole like as long as we're on earth, we have a job to do from God. We have an assignment from God. Um, that mentality is really easy to say and really easy to like know in your head, but it's a, another thing to flesh that out. Yeah. You know, every, you know, as long as you're here on earth, you have a task, whether that's in your job or in your family or witness, you know, ultimately it's witnessing to, everyone around you and showing them who Jesus is um, and and just figuring out what your means of doing that are. So Mm -hmm. finding, finding where you are in the story of God and how you can live your life to continue to glorify him. Mm -hmm. 
is is really and and that's where you know uh you know i hear stories of of and and I, when i think about mortality i always end up thinking about like missionaries mm-hmm. missionaries who realistically i mean put their put their life on the line and go to countries that that a lot of times are going to reject them mm-hmm. or are going to you know possibly cause them harm uh, you know and I, and I think of the first and second century christians that were martyrs you know i think of guys like polycarp uh who lived like 86 years and then was burned and and while he was being burned they asked him they they said you know why won't you give this this give up this god basically renounce it so you can live and he's like i've lived 86 years for my god you think just a few minutes of torture is going to change my mind? No, I've devoted my life to him. Mm-hmm. N- nothing you can do to me, to this physical body, is going to change. And that's where, I think that's where Christians, a lot of times, because we're so bent on material things, we're so bent on things that please our physical body, that we quit observing things that please our spiritual body. Mm-hmm. And looking for things to please our spiritual body, because the more we feed that spiritual body, the more we feed the the spiritual man inside of us, the less we're going to have. And, and, and this sounds kind of morbid, but the less we're going to regard our our physical self. Right. Now, that's that's not a means to just let yourself go physically. That's not an excuse to let yourself go physically right. because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and we're supposed to take care of it accordingly. Um, and, and so, uh, and, and conversely, you know, we're made in the image of God. So if we're, if life is the image of God, then we are supposed to take care of this and steward this body as we would, um, as we would, you know, anything else. Mm -hmm. And so, so we have to, we have to think about it that way. Yeah. There's the, there's the quote he's, he, uh, Polycarp going back to Polycarp. He says, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And and when we have that approach to to our life and to our own mortality, it changes the way we perceive things. Right. You know, we, we don't put so much focus on our body in our physical life and what we can gain in this world we put our we put our body and our life and our physical self at the altar of Christ and say do with it, do with us as you please yeah i mean th- I think about like the trivial things that have bothered you or or gotten you know as peter griffin put it grinds your gears you know um <laughs> really grinds my gears yeah so like but you know think of those trivial things that have really gotten to you in 150 years, are those trivial things going to matter? Exactly. Will it matter for eternity? Yeah. The only things that we should be afraid of are things that are going to matter for eternity. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, and that and that's what gives you a proper fear or a proper respect for mortality. Yeah. I love the line that, that Packer uses where he says, death is decisive for destiny. Mm-hmm. After death, there is no possibility of salvation for the lost, and and that really puts your your mortality kind of into perspective because you have life as long as you have life, as long as God has granted you life, mm-hmm. you know you have the responsibility to respond in faith and repentance to Christ. 
But after death, when, at the end of that, and this, this goes back to what we talked about last week with the unpardonable sin. Up until the point of death, when you're dead, you you no longer have the ability to repent. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as much as I want to to, I guess, say my Catholic brothers are are right, I, I I truly believe they're wrong. You know, they they say you got purgatory, and then in purgatory you get all your your family members to pray for you, and that gets you into heaven. Well, sorry, that's not how it works. Yeah, you know, after death. You're done. It's either it's either eternal uh, sanctification or eternal salvation with with Christ in heaven, or it's eternal damnation. That's mm-hmm. the two options that you have after death. Yeah, and really, I mean, it's not even an option that you have. It's an option made in your life before yeah. you die. Yes. So, so I mean, up until the point of death, you, that's a decision you can make. Um, but once you're dead, that's it. And and what yeah. you've chosen is what you're what your eternity is is destined for exactly and the and the way you responded in life mm-hmm. whether you whether you trusted Christ put your faith in Christ alone or didn't put you know that and that's again that's the unpardonable sin not putting your faith and trust in Christ there there's nothing that can cover you there's no amount of sanctification that can cover you at that point right if your faith in faith is not in Christ yeah and so you're you're bound for eternal damnation at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the flip side, if you're a believer, um, at death, your soul is made perfect in holiness, and yeah. you enter into worshiping uh, the work the worshiping life of heaven. So yes. I mean, Packer just says, in other words, we're glorified. You yeah. Know, if you're a believer in Jesus at your time of death, we've talked about this so many times. Since we started doing this podcast, the glorification of the saints um, at death—that is when that happens. It's not something that happens this side of death. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. We're we're glorified. That's the that's the final step. It's in in the you know in the in the what they call the golden chain of salvation. Mm-hmm. I guess you call it that in Romans eight. Um, the final step is glorification, mm-hmm. and so. If that's our ultimate goal, that's why we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear our own mortality because for those who are in Christ, you know what that that next step is. Mm-hmm. It is your glorification. But right. for those, you know, and and in reality, those who are not in Christ, they have a lot to fear. You know, they have something major to fear at that point. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that's you, you always kind of see that fleshed out a lot of times on people's deathbed where they they're afraid of death or they're content in death right you know i've i've been with i've been with people who have battled cancer for years and years and years and they're on their deathbed and and you like you almost want to pray that god would be merciful and just go ahead and take their life from them because mm-hmm. you see the, the agony that their physical body is in right but but those people, a lot of times, especially if their faith and their hope and their trust is in Christ alone, man, there is so much gospel happening right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Where they're just, they're just, I mean, they, they're saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. God's going to take me and it's going to be okay. He's going to heal me. And, and healing in this sense is he's, is he's going to restore them. He's going to glorify them mm-hmm. uh, after their death. Right. He's going to restore them. And so that that 
process right there, that mortality process of death, actually pushes us right into the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is the second coming of Christ. Right. And and so this is this is a topic that, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there, we are not going to cover all of this tonight. Like, Packer doesn't cover all of it in his little section. There is so much uh, debate. There is so much research. There is so much... There, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of books that have been written discussing the topic of the second coming of Christ. Yeah, and, um, and we're going to try to discuss all that in 20 minutes or so. In 20 so. minutes or so, yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, I know where I stand. Um, I'm not hardline on that issue. Um, but, but no, if you're going to dive into that subject, just be ready. Mm-hmm. Be ready to understand it, you know. Here's the here's the kind of hardcore realities, the, the hardcore truths that are going to happen. The the big one is that yes, Christ is going to come back. He is going to come back again, and he is going to bring with him a new heavens and a new earth. Mm-hmm. Now, how all of that fleshes out, that's where the debate begins. And but the the one agreement that we as Christians have, and, and I'll go back to something I've said in previous uh podcasts, which is you know, we can believe more than the Apostles' Creed, but we can't believe less than the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. So the Apostles' Creed affirms the second coming of Christ. Now, how all of that fleshes out, that's more. All we want to know is that, that we have affirmed the second coming of Christ. And so, Packer rightly points to one of the most popular passages, which is First Thessalonians mm-hmm. 5. Read, read that for us there, Pastor, because that's a good verse to, to kind of hammer down the second coming of Christ. Yeah. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4 says that now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So, no, like, basically... Paul's just saying, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. Exactly. Doesn't Jesus say he doesn't even know? Yes, he does. And and he doesn't. And the parallel here is actually um is is actually really good because it goes it goes back to um a Jewish wedding. So Contrary to popular American culture, um, weddings don't always operate like like uh, they do in America. Um, what? <laughs> it's ludicrous, I know. Um, so back in the day, um, there would be what was called a betrothal period. Mm-hmm. And the, per- the, the betrothal period, what we would commonly call to as being engaged, um, was was very similar, but... What happened a lot of times is the couple, and, and this is where it gets crazy, the couple would actually live in the same house together as a couple. Now, they would sleep in different rooms, and it was, now, you also have to understand that more than two people lived in a house at this time. So it wasn't like, you know, your two friends go and get an apartment together. This was like your two friends who were engaged to get married go and live with their parents. That's that's more likely what this was. Okay. Okay. So in the betrothal period, but you have this this like observance period that was called the betrothal period, and then during the betrothal period, um, the bride would be sent away to prepare for the wedding. Okay, um, and at the point where the the father of the bride, or the, I'm sorry, the father of the groom, 
says basically everything is prepared, everything is ready, the wedding is going to happen. He would he would look at his son and say, "Go and get your bride." Mm-hmm. And it was and it was always this like the son never he knew it was going to happen. He was preparing for it, he, but he, he never knew when it was going to happen. But he never knew when his dad was going to look at him and say, "Go and get your bride." Okay. So the parallel is there. And and that that's that's where a lot of this uh you know I've heard the argument that oh well Jesus can't be God if he doesn't know when he's returning. The son still knows everything. The son still knows all of the stuff is going to happen. He's waiting on the father to tell him to go. You know, it's not like he he doesn't know when it's going to happen. He's just waiting on the father to tell him to go. So it's 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 a it's less like the Jewish wedding and the Jewish wedding uh situation in that the son in this case Jesus does know when he's coming. He doesn't know when the, when God the Father is going to tell him to go. Exactly. 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 And and I mean we can get into all kind of philosophical debates about, you know, does he know, does he not know? Is, does that make him God? Does that not make him God? Here's the thing. Jesus said that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I can take him at his word at that and, and be okay with that. You know, uh, the only the father knows the hour in which, in which he's going to send him. I think it's Matthew 24, possibly. I have to refresh myself on that one, but yeah. Matthew 24. But it's been a while since I've, since I've done this. Not about, um, the, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Yes. And so you have this inner interrelational. What it doesn't demean the son to a point where he's not God or he doesn't know something, but it's just the role of the father is to know that and to to say that that's coming. Yeah, and the role of the son is to be preparing be for that and be ready to go when it's time. To exactly, go. which is how that parallels to the wedding. Team. Gotcha. Okay, the, makes sense. The son's job is to be ready. The father's job is to send him to go. I'm pick, you know? I am picking up what you're putting down. So. There's there's a whole lot of symbolism there, but but the the kind of core of, about all of this is that Christ is going to come again, mm-hmm. and um, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared because it could happen at any time, and we don't know. And if we die, we need to we need to have our kids prepared, mm-hmm. you know, and and that you know we need to continue along in what the Christian tradition teaches us that we should do. Right. So. So, you know, we, we have this, we have this preparedness that we're set for. We have this, this readiness that we're there for. And all of that comes from the, the reality that Christ is going to come again. So if you back up from first Thessalonians five and go to first Thessalonians, the end of first Thessalonians four and, and, uh, you actually get the action that's going to happen. So, the Lord, uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 16 of chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the whole point of all of this is not to try to figure out if it's, pre-tribulational, post-tribulational, premillennial, amillennial. That's not the point of all this. The point of all this is to say, 
you know, the, the core point of, of the gospel part of this is to say, we know that Christ is coming back and we have to prepare as best we can for that return. Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to be pre-mill, pre-trib, whatever it is, we've got to be prepared. Right. And, like, I mean, not to trivialize it, but it's a question we've asked several times at the end of the day, does it matter? I mean, in some sense, it does. It's good for Christians to think about these things and to to ponder on them. But yeah, I mean, it's, when it, it comes it's, to the it's, world, no. It's good for Christians to think about it. But at, like in eternity, will it matter if it was, no. if we're pre-trib, post-trib? No, it won't. All millennial, whatever. No, it won't. Okay, so in First Thessalonians, Paul talks about like what's going to happen, um, and in Packer says that some of these details are like have symbolic significance. Um, but that he also seems to be speaking literally, and the fact that what he describes is beyond our power to imagine shouldn't stop us from taking his word that this is how it'll be. So I guess like as Paul's writing is like there's some symbolism, but there's some literalism that should be taken there, and how he's writing or what he's writing will happen is how it'll happen ultimately i guess yeah and and i mean that that's that's really where kind of the internal debate happens a lot of times Mm -hmm. is is what is literal and what is symbolic symbolic yeah and Um, and i guess in this situation it would be it's it's sim it's symbolic and literal at the same time yes to some degree it is you know the the event will happen Mm -hmm. literally in space time Mm -hmm. and history Jesus will come back. The question is, number one, has it happened already? And are we living kind of in this in this post-Jesus coming back world, or is it going to happen? Where is it going to fall? I mm-hmm. that, that's where the debate happens. And that's where you end up with all of these different views of what they call eschatology, or, or the end times, or the final things. Um, and eschatology is just the study of the eschaton, the final things. And so you end up with some folks who, who believe that there is this, this period of seven years and there's a rapture at the start of the seven years and the church is taken away. And then there's like seven years of tribulation. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus comes back and that initiates and inaugurates the millennium, mm-hmm. which is a thousand year reign. And then there's other people who believe that the, that the rapture doesn't actually happen at the beginning of the tribulation, but it's the end of the tribulation uh, it's kind of like two events that happen simultaneously with the rapture and the second coming happening at, happening at the same time, and that inaugurates the millennium. And then there's people who believe that all of this is just going to roll into the millennium and things are going to get better. And then at the end of the millennium, Jesus is going to come back. And then there's people who believe eh, the millennium is not really a, it's all metaphor and it's all analogy. And we need to just live, you know, we need to just live for Christ now and and focus on what we can do for the gospel today and not worry about trying to decipher the code or figure out the timeline or any of this other stuff because in in reality, all we need to focus on is the second coming of Christ. So you have all of these different camps. That's a lot going on. That's a, It's a ton going on. And that was like a, that was like a, a, a two-minute exhortation of my 20-page of my uh, paper that I wrote one time. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, 
there's so much of that going on and really all that the new testament points to like we were talking about like specifically in a timeline is the fall yes. of jerusalem yes. and then every 70 AD. 70 AD. and does it say like I, I i'm blanking on like how it how it puts it but does it give like in x number of years this will happen it, I mean, it doesn't really. The The only book that really contains actual, you know, like, here's the second coming other than really First Thessalonians is, mm-hmm. is the book of Revelation. Okay. And so that's where we end up interpreting a lot of our eschatology from because that's, you know, right. Revelation, literally, it's the apocalypse. Right. That's what that book is called. Right, right, right. Um, and so, so we try to, we try to put revelation back onto all of this other stuff and, and figure out how it should be interpreted and how it should, you know, be applied to the rest of scripture. And, and, you know, I remember a professor in college, somebody asked him, you know, he, they said, how do you understand the book of revelation? He goes, well, I don't understand revelation. I understand the 65 books that came before it. And that helps me understand revelation. Mm, okay. Yeah, and so, so, it's it's not about applying revelation to like one or two specific passages or one book or something from from scripture it's it's seeing how revelation fits into the whole grand scheme or meta narrative of scripture right um and so you have this these common four themes which are consummate i'm sorry creation fall redemption and consummation so you have the, the creation that's genesis that's basically the law the giving of the law that's that's the creation account in in broad terms um and then you have the fall the fall happens in genesis and then you have the effects of the fall happening throughout the old testament and really into the new testament uh and then you have redemption well that's the person in the story and the work of jesus christ and what he did uh in redemption on the cross and then you have consummation that's the finalization of everything mm-hmm. how it's all gonna and so you look at Revelation and how it plays into not just how we can interpret Revelation by itself, but how does Revelation fit as the consummation of the grand narrative that has been going on since creation? Mm. And and it's it's when you look at it like that that I believe, personally, you kind of get a better perspective on it and you say, okay, it's not about a timeline or events or certain things having to happen that you have to interpret correctly. And if you don't interpret them correctly, then you're going to get everything else wrong. And, and you know, this, this certain sequence of events that have, that you have to have a PhD to be able to understand basically. Um, and, and, and I would say that, you know, the narrative of scripture is, is clear. Um, and, and we see that across scripture. And because of that, we know that, the eventual end is the second coming of Christ. And mm-hmm. so we don't have to focus on, is there going to be a millennium? Is there going to be a rapture? Is there going to be a seven years of tribulation? Is there going to be this? Is there going to be that? Do I need to be looking for this? Doing it? You know, you, you get past all of those details and say, no, I need to live my life for the glory of God because Jesus is ruling and reigning now because he is, he was, di- he died on a cross. He was buried and he resurrected and now he reigns in heaven. And so, so if, if you've picked up on anything that I've said now, you've probably determined that I, I hold to what's called an amillennial view, which is there is, there's no literal, there's no actual millennium, but it's just this period of time because the book of revelation, the way I see it is, is the whole thing is metaphorical. The whole thing is, uh, analogical to basically things that are going to happen, things that we can see happening in the world. There's going to be great tumult, tumult in the world. Well, that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, 
you look through history, there's been tumult the whole time. And so what we need to be focusing on is not necessarily the bad things that are happening in the world, but how can we point to the glory of God in all of those bad things? Right. So that's where, you know, that's, that's where, that's where I give up what I, what I believe about the second coming of Christ. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like, I don't know enough about, you know, the second coming of Christ to say I have like a solid stance on whether being whether being amillennial or postmillennial or pre-trib or whatever. Um, I don't even know if I'm saying any of those words right. That's how, that's how much I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Packer just, Packer points out, and I guess this might be a good place to kind of, to wrap it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. Packer points out that um, throughout the New Testament, except for the fall of Jerusalem, um, there's no real like specific dates that are predicted for anything, but rather mm-hmm. processes for the events yes. of history. Um, and they just give some examples that um, the Gentile world will be summoned to faith. There will be false prophets and false Christs or any Christs. Uh, there will be apostasy from the faith and tribulation for the faithful. Um, seemingly unidentifiable main of lawlessness. Um and then some other, there's some other things there, but then he, he kind of wraps it up and says that no dates can be deduced from any of this data and the time of Jesus's return remains completely unknown. So yes, all, all that we can really like confidently say is yes, Jesus is going to come back and yes, when he comes back, he will come back as the, um, as the Lord and King that he is. Yes. But apart from that, we don't. Yeah. have a whole lot of other detail. Yeah. It's, you know, and and uh, I'll, I'll admit this, that C.S. Lewis was no amillennialist, but but uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe sure has some amillennialist overtones in it. Um, because the whole point of, and, and if you've ever seen the, or read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, like, the, the kind of thing in the background is Aslan is coming, Aslan is coming, Aslan is coming. There, there's no, like, okay, Aslan is going to come, and then there's going to be this period of this, and then there's going to be that, and then there's going to be this other thing, and and you know, but the whole mantra is Aslan is coming. Aslan is coming. You know, spring is going to turn, or winter is going to turn to spring because mm-hmm. Aslan is coming. This is going to happen because Aslan is coming. And so when you when you if you've ever read a lot of Lewis, you know that he loved that type of kind of pictures. Uh, through stories, you know, he told a lot of stuff through stories and, and he paints the gospel through stories a lot of times. And he was, he was a master at it. Uh, and, and a lot of times he, he really hid what he believed kind of inside of the stories. But the more you go back and read them, the more you see them, the more you could pick up on things that, that Lewis believed. But he was a master at saying, you know, let's focus on the main thing here. Right. Let's focus on what's important. What's important is that Jesus is coming. That's what's important. What doesn't matter is the timeline of when Jesus, when we think Jesus is going to come back. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. What's important is Jesus is coming. Have you repented and believed? Right. Have you turned from your wickedness? Have you turned from your sins? Are you focusing solely on, a, and are you living in a way that is glorifying God? Because if you're not, then you have something to fear when Jesus comes. Mm-hmm. But if you are, you have no fear. You have, you don't have to be afraid of death when Jesus comes because Jesus has conquered death 
and therefore you have conquered death. And so, so you, you really kind of, you tie these two things that we've been talking about tonight, the mortality and, and the second coming of Christ together in the, in the theme that we should be focused on the second coming of Christ. We should be focused on Jesus is coming, mm-hmm. you know, this is happening. That is happening. Okay. That's, that's symbol, that's signs. And that, that tells us things. Let me tell you that Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you prepared? Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, I mean, really true. That's, that's, that's a lot where, where kind of Packer leaves it is that, you know, we don't know it's unknown. And so the whole point is we have to be ready, right? Which is what, which is the, the point of Matthew 24. You know, you, you read it earlier. That's, that's the whole point is that you have to be ready because it could happen at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And apart, I mean, apart from the God, the father, no one knows. Mm-hmm. So exactly, not even Jesus knows when he when he's coming. So exactly, um, that is that is a uh, not troubling. It's troubling if your faith and your trust are not in Jesus. Yes, yes, it's it comforting is. if your faith and trust is in Jesus. Yes, yes, agreed. Because yeah, because I mean that's that's. It's it's knowing it's knowing what's going to happen afterwards is what it is. If your faith and trust is not in Jesus, you have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if your faith and trust is in Jesus, you have all of the holy scriptures to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Which is that we will win, victory is ours, and we will spend eternity with Christ in in heaven, mm-hmm. singing the praises of God for eter- for all of eternity. Yeah. And that's a good place to say amen. Yes, it is. <laughs> so if they wanted to reach us on social media, Patrick, where would they do such social media findings? So we are on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. I'm trying to do this in the same order every week and I forget. <laughs> so Instagram us. We're at beers and Bible underscore there. Um, we're also on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. We are on Facebook now. You can search us, um, just search Beers and Bible Podcast and look for the logo. And then you can also email us. Um, we're there at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to reach out and ask us any questions or suggest any beers that you'd like for us to review on the podcast. And we'd love to, love to interact with you. And um, if you have any questions about anything that we've discussed or anything that you'd like to discuss, we'd, we'd love to field those too. Um, uh, Rick and my Rick and Patrick both have um, access to to the all the social media accounts there, so we can uh, both interact with you from from there at any time. So, yes, um, ser- hit us up. seriously, hit us up. We're um, I think we've got two more episodes in concise theology, and after that, we're we're still bouncing some ideas around. So, if you have any suggestions, let us know. Um, of course, by the time this comes out, we will have already recorded after concise theology, mm-hmm. possibly. So yes, it's, yeah. When this comes out, we will hopefully be working on our new new thing, whatever that is. So maybe this uh, request for help is useless. Um, <laughs> I mean, we would still love to hear from you. Don't don't get us wrong. So that's right. We still want to hear from you. Anyway, until next week, we hope that you enjoy. Um, 
go find yourself a good good beer and enjoy studying in some theology and we'll uh we'll see y'all catch y'all later peace out if you enjoy what you hear on beers and bible please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast